Chapter 7 of Basil, or Honesty and Industry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Harder. Basil, or Honesty and Industry by C. G. O'Brien. Chapter 7 A Pleasant Ending. In a pleasant morning room at Woodside Farm, Mr. and Mrs. Stewart sat at breakfast, the day following that on which the events occurred related in the last chapter. "'Give me another cup of coffee, Kate, and then I must be off. I expect a number of boys from the village to see me this morning. I have heard sad accounts of the manner in which many of the peasantry about here live. They say a clean, tidy cottage is quite a strange sight, and that scarcely one person out of ten ever enters a place of worship.' I think the fault must lie a great deal with the resident proprietors, Edward. You see, Kate, it has been much against the poor people that this large estate has been so long unoccupied. Mr. Hamilton, too, has been an unavoidable absentee through his daughter's delicate health, which has obliged him to live so much abroad. I think matters will improve now. In my humble way, I hope, with God's blessing, to remedy as much of the evil as lies in my power. And how do you propose setting about it? in this way. I intend paying my boys less wages and taking them into the house where they will acquire habits of order and industry and be constantly under my own eye. I intend also, if possible, to devote an hour in the evening to giving them a little instruction in reading, writing, and arithmetic. By taking boys into the house, I, of course, put a stop to their attending any school, and I think it my duty not to allow them to grow up in ignorance. Quite right, Edward and I suppose that if I, at some future time, should see my way clear to taking two or three girls into the house for a few months each at a time, to be trained in a household duties, I have your consent to make the experiment. Most heartily, I am delighted to find you contemplating such a plan, for after all it is perfectly useless to expect much improvement in the cottages of the peasantry, whilst future mistresses of cottages are being brought up as they are here. It will be striking at the root of the evil to get the children away from such houses for a time. When they return, they will, to a certain extent, carry with them the habits of order and industry which they have acquired elsewhere, and in the meantime we must do all in our power, by kind and conciliatory advice, to get the mothers to improve the condition of their homes. "'If you please, sir,' said a servant, entering the room, "'there are more than twenty boys waiting to see you.' "'I'll come directly,' said Mr. Stewart, "'and I shall be glad if you will come with me, Kate, "'and assist me in my selection.' "'A strange and motley group was assembled before the hall door. "'Upward of twenty boys of all sizes, "'from the little curly-headed urchin of seven or eight "'to the tall, overgrown lad of fourteen or fifteen. "'Their costume was decidedly more picturesque than tidy, "'and many bare knees and elbows peeped through ragged trousers and jackets. "'Well, my lads,' said Mr. Stewart, with a good-humoured smile, I am glad to see you all, and to find so many of you anxious to obtain employment. I cannot, however, promise to engage you all, but I must try and choose those who I think will be most useful to me. He then put several questions to the boys, and finished by selecting six of the bigger ones, telling the others that they were still young enough to be able to afford to wait a little, and that he would take down their names and would remember them the next opportunity. Mr. Stewart then commenced making a list of the names of those boys he could not at present engage. "'What is your name, my boy?' "'Tom Hill, sir.' "'And yours?' "'William Allen.' 
and yours, Fred Brown, and yours. But as Mr. Stewart put the question, the boy thus addressed burst into tears and sobbed out, Basil Green, sir. And why do you cry so, my boy? said Mr. Stewart. Basil still sobbed on and could not articulate a word. Mr. Stewart looked at the boy and could not help thinking he had seen him somewhere before, but where he could not recollect. Did you ever see me before, Basil? Yes, please, sir. I held your horse the other day. Ah, now I remember. But tell me, Basil, what makes you so unhappy? Because, sir, I wanted to begin to try and be industrious, so that I might become independent, like Squire Hamilton, sir, and help father and mother and Annie, sir, and if I have nothing to do, I can't be industrious, and I'm very nearly thirteen, sir, though I ain't very big, and at this moment a kind, good-natured-looking man came to the hall door to speak to Mr. Stewart. Here's one of the village lads in sad trouble, Donald, because I cannot find room for him, too, on the farm. He is much older than I thought he was, and if you think you can manage seven boys instead of six, why, I don't mind giving him a trial. He don't seem very strong, I must say. Long before Mr. Stewart had finished speaking, a smile of recognition had passed between Donald and Basil, and the face of the latter brightened wonderfully in the hope that the good woodman would again stand his friend. "'I know something of the lad, sir,' said Donald. "'He worked with me for a day last week up in the woods yonder, "'and as far as I can see, I think he will make up in good will "'for what he wants in strength. "'He won't be badly off for strength neither "'when he gets a little regular feeding.' "'So Basil was entered as one of the boys on Woodside Farm, "'and Mrs. Stewart, having inquired of him, who Annie was, "'of whom he had spoken when he was crying, "'and learning that the child was delicate, sent her some milk and eggs by Basil, and promised to call and see her in a few days. Basil and his companions were not to commence their farm duties until the middle of the week, as the rooms were not quite ready which Mr. Stewart was having fitted up for them to sleep in, and Basil was not sorry to have a few more days to spend at home. Annie and Willie were standing by the garden hedge, as Basil came bounding across the green. "'Mother, mother!' they cried out. "'I know it's all right with Basil, by the way he's running.' There was great joy in the cottage when the good news was told. Things were certainly getting brighter and brighter. "'How pleased father will be, won't he, mother?' "'Yes, Basil,' replied Mrs. Green. "'I hope and pray he will come home again in good time this evening, that's all.' In the course of the morning, Basil, who was in the garden, saw his good friend Donald McNichol coming across the green, and proceeding in the direction of the cottage near to that in which the Greens lived, and which was about to be rethatched. "'It's all true, mother,' cried Basil. "'Mr. McNichol is coming to be our neighbor. "'Surely I am right glad, that's all.' And so saying, he rushed out to meet his friend and to thank him for the service he had rendered him that morning. "'All right, laddie, all right,' cried the kind-hearted Donald. "'I'm glad I was there just then, certainly. "'Some people will call it a lucky chance, "'but there's no such thing as chance, Basil, believe me. "'This is no chance world in which we live. "'Thank God for it in your prayers tonight, boy.' Donald took Basil over the cottage and told him what improvements were going to be made in it. "'When it is all finished, I shall send for the wife and barons, Basil. You and young Donald will be great friends, I think.' Donald McNichol was right. There was no such thing as chance. Job says, speaking of the Almighty, "'Doth he not see my ways and count all my steps?' And David says, "'The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord.' 
and again, Thou art about my bed and about my path, and spiest out all my ways. It was not chance that had led Basil to pray that he might be kept from stealing. It was not chance that brought him to the spot where Donald was working. It was not by chance that Jacob and his wife were led to repent of having told Basil to steal the wood. And it was not chance that led Mrs. Green to visit her sister at West Bay. Lastly, it was not chance that had, just at this particular time, caused Jacob to find work in an opposite direction from the half-moon. Jacob could not go to the half-moon without first passing his cottage and leaving all his tools there. We do not mean to say that he intended going to the alehouse on this Monday evening, but the chains of long-indulged vices are very strong, and human nature, when left to itself, is very weak and there is no saying whether Jacob would have resisted the temptation had the alehouse been on his road as he returned from work. As it was, he went home, just as a matter of course with his tools, and as he neared his cottage he heard a woman's voice singing quite cheerfully. It was years since such a sound had issued from his home, and somehow it recalled his early married life, and with softened feelings he entered the cottage. Mrs. Green was dressed in the neat print dress her sister had given her. The cottage floor was well swept, thanks to Basil's broom. The children's hands and faces were clean, and the baby, looking neater than ever it had been known to do before, sat crowing on her mother's lap. A small but bright fire burned cheerfully on the hearth. The round deal table had been washed, and on it were arranged the tea-things, a cracked and broken assemblage truly, but quite clean at all events. Who could have found it in his heart to leave home again under such a new and pleasing aspect of affairs? Not Jacob Green. He praised his wife's looks, again repeated that he was sure her visit to West Bay had done her good, played with the children, gave his wife half a crown, and when he had done his tea expressed his intention of paying a visit to a neighboring wheelwright to get some pieces of wood to make a gate to the garden. The wheelwright was a kind-hearted man who had long regretted the state of matters at Jacob Green's and he was so pleased at this sign of improvement evinced by a gate being thought necessary for the garden, that he would take no money for the wood, but declared to Jacob that he never give anything away with more pleasure in his life. Some strong nails, a pair of old hinges, and the loan of a few tools were added, and in the course of a couple of hours a neat-looking gate was completed, for Jacob was a handy man, and could, when sober, turn his hand to many things. He kept his promise also of reading a chapter in the Bible to his wife and children, and poor Mrs. Green could scarcely restrain her tears of joy and thankfulness at her husband's altered conduct. When Miss Hamilton called again at the cottage, she was much pleased with the improved appearance of everything, and kindly and affectionately encouraged Mrs. Green to persevere. "'God has been very good to you, Mrs. Green,' she said, "'and I need not urge upon you the necessity of not growing weary in well-doing.' You must not expect that things will always go smoothly. It is probable, though I pray it may not happen, that your husband may occasionally be tempted to go back to his old ways. But if you pray to God to enable you to persevere in your present course, you will not have, as formerly, the additional pain of feeling that your husband's sin lay greatly at your own door. Miss Hamilton was delighted to find that Basil had been engaged at Woodside Farm, and also to hear that he would still have his Sundays at home and be able to continue his attendance at the school. She told him to come to her house that evening, and she would order the gardener to give him the cabbage plants she had promised him. Basil went as desired, and found a basket of plants ready for him. There were several kinds of winter kale and cabbage plants, 
and the gardener told Basil his young mistress had told him to put by a few gooseberry and currant trees for Basil, when the time for removing such plants should come. We might write a great deal more about Basil and his family, but it would make too long a story. It must be sufficient to say that Basil was enabled by God's grace to prove a useful and faithful servant to Mr. Stewart, who in return showed himself a kind friend and adviser, both to Basil and his family. That Jacob Green was persuaded by his brother-in-law, Frank Morris, who came over one day from West Bay, to give up going to the half-moon, and that he has never regretted the step he then took. You would not recognize the cottage were you to see it. All is so neat and comfortable. Donald McNichol's family set an excellent example to the little Greens, and Mrs. McNichol, a kind and motherly woman, is like an elder sister to Basil's mother. Thus, then, we leave them, happy in each other, and never ceasing to thank God for His great mercies toward them all. End of chapter 7 End of Basil, or Honesty and Industry Recorded by Robert Harder